Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here today. Always good to be with you on Sunday mornings. Are you like me? If you're like me, you don't like to admit when you're wrong. Uh, If you're like me, you don't like to humble yourself. You don't like to turn from wrong things that you're doing. And you don't like to have to say you're sorry. Are you like me? Yeah, that's uh, all of us. But we do like to be victorious. We do like to be healthy. We like to overcome obstacles. We like to have strong relationships. We like to have our questions answered. We like to be free. We like to know our purpose in life. We like to truly live. We like to know God, and and we like to know who we are in him. We like to know that we're eternally secure forever. Those are things that we do like. There are great things in life that we do like, and there are certain things in life that we don't like. As we return to Exodus today, we find that the obstacles that are within us and outside of us that keep us from these things that we really do like and that are really good for us are very, very strong. But we also find that God is much, much stronger. And he is proving that through our text in Exodus these last few weeks and continues to do that today. If you haven't opened your Bibles already, we're gonna pick up in Exodus 9, 13 and go all the way through chapter 11 today and complete the 10 plagues. If you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand if you didn't grab one of those. The sermon notes are in there, lots of other things. Thanks, Chris. We're going to pick up where we left off and continue the theme from last message, and that is that the world may know that Yahweh is the one and only true God. We worship so many other false gods and turn to them for our comfort and security and meaning and purpose, but there's one God, and he says, stop worshiping all the creation. Worship the creator instead. And he goes to great lengths to show that to us, to proclaim that to us. The ten plagues proclaim this, that he will not share his glory with the others, with the other things that we turn to and praise and worship and give our hearts to. So we walked through the first six plagues last time. I talked to somebody this week who said, you left me hanging. I really wanted to see what happened to the rest. So that's what's going to happen today. We're going to look at the rest. The first six plagues, as they progressed, uh, God demonstrated and proclaimed all throughout that I am the only true God. I am the one true God. But today, we're going to focus a little bit more on us, down to humans, that we humans can make choices towards him. And the title tips off where God is directing us by his grace today. The title today is Repent, Revive, and Live. To review in pride, that pride that's in every one of us, Pharaoh asked in chapter 5, verse 2, you might might remember this back from a few weeks ago, he asked, who is Yahweh and why should I obey him? And the nation of Egypt, the superpower of the world at that time, agrees with that question. Who Who is God that I should obey him? Thus, the ten plagues. Let's quickly review in case you weren't here, numbers one through six. 
The first plague was the Nile to blood. This is the right place to start because the Egyptians placed their trust in the Nile River as their creator and sustainer. Uh Uh-oh, that's not who they should trust. They worshiped it through multiple false gods. They threw the Hebrew babies into the Nile River. And God responds with the first plague to say that the world may know that I am the one true God. Second was frogs. God confronted the frog goddess Heket that they worshiped to control childbirth. That's God's territory. So God responds with the plague of frogs that the, that the world may know that I am the one true God. The third plague was turning the dust into gnats, confronting the Egyptian gods of the desert and the soil, challenging their trust in Mother Earth. He says, don't worship Mother Earth. He responds that, I, that the world may know that I am the one true God. And the fourth plague was the flies, confronting Kepri, the god of resurrection, represented by the head of a fly or scarab, who they they begged for life after death. Oh, Kepri, if we could just have life after death. God responds with the plague of the flies that the world may know that I am the resurrection and the life, the one true God. Then the death of the livestock, plague five, confronted Apis, Hathor, Isis, the bull god and goddesses of sex, beauty, and fertility. And why, again, later Israel will be drawn so heavily to the golden calf. God responds, sex, beauty, and fertility should not be worshipped. I am the one true God. And then the sixth plague was boils, confronting the false gods that Egypt looked to for healing. Oh, Amun-Ra, Thoth, Imhotep, Skemet, Heal us. God responds, I am the healer. Let the world may know that I am the one true God. I hope God's getting through to you who to turn to for all things in life, who deserves our glory and affections and worship. God has more to proclaim to Egypt and to his people, Israel, who have been trapped and totally taken over by the beliefs of of Egypt. And he has more to proclaim to us today, to the world today, through his word. So as we looked at the plagues, we identified that there was a pattern that runs through them in these three cycles. Plagues one through three, four through six, and then seven through nine. And the pattern in the ten plagues is on your notes. It is, we see obedience, we see God's power being superior over Egypt's gods and any other thing that we'd worship. We see counterfeits, and then we see the hardened heart as the response Today we return to God's words in the third cycle of plagues, plagues number seven through nine, plus then we'll end today with the warning of the tenth plague, the warning of the tenth plague. So let's pick up with plague number seven. We see the third cycle of plagues, that the world may know the one true God. He wants you to know him very, very well. You meet him in this word. Plague number seven, to a sinful and resistant, prideful people, the plague of hail. Now, we've talked about God's purposes for the ten plagues uh, because God had told them to Moses a variety of times in the previous text. Well, this time, he says to Moses, I want you to tell Pharaoh directly the purpose of the plagues. Let's look at this in verses 13 through 17. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people. Here's one of the purpose statements. So that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. Now listen to verse 15. For by now, I could have put my hand out and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. And there's a purpose in the plagues. The plagues weren't even necessary just to get Israel out of there. We've said that before, and I want to repeat this because God just does. He didn't even need to use the ten plagues. He could have just caused his people to be freed some other way. But here's his purpose, so that the world will know that all these things we worship belong to God And verse 16, for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And so we proclaim him in Warsaw, Indiana in 2021 because he did this. But, verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. You're still exalting yourself. And so plague number seven, we are about to see the worst hailstorm in recorded history. And in the seventh plague, as in the sixth before it, we enter our pattern. It starts with obedience. Again, that is the reluctant Moses. God calls us up to be deliverers in in our communities, in our world, in our families, but we're reluctant at first, and we fight, and we argue, and we get scared and nervous and self-conscious. And finally, Moses matured beyond that, and we need to mature beyond that too. But the formerly reluctant Moses had now been matured, and he just does what we should do, just obey God with what he says, what he calls us to do the first time. And so we see Moses' obedience right away, verse 23. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Have you ever been afraid, felt a little afraid in a thunderstorm before? How, how many people would admit that? Ever maybe, any time in your life, maybe when you were a little kid? I do remember that. I, I remember being really, really scared and uh, wondering if I was going to survive. Would I be bold enough to admit that that still happens today? Maybe. I don't know. I get a little uneasy. Okay, now think of the worst thunderstorm in history. Here it is. And God showed his power. Verses 24 through 26, there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never been seen in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree in the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, Was there no hail? Once again, God protects his people where the slave headquarters were, where they lived. The false gods that Yahweh is confronting with this plague are many. Here's just a few. Nut was the sky goddess. Set was the god of storms. There were other gods of just about every aspect of nature and weather. Gods of moisture, gods of earth, wind, fire, etc., This is just pagan nations. 
I want you to understand this. An entire civilization that is pagan, that is giving praise and glory to the earth, to false gods, so that we can do whatever we want, so that we can see ourselves as gods for autonomy from God, and committing horrendously evil acts of worship for them. That's illicit sex acts, human sacrifices, baby sacrifices, prostitution, all while persecuting God's people, mocking God, and rejecting God. We don't need you. That's a way to bring serious trouble to yourself as a nation. Are we paying attention? God is speaking to us, and he's speaking to our nation. He's calling us today to some very specific things. Once again, who deserves praise, glory, and worship for weather and nature? God, of course, and only God. Psalm 148, 7 and 8 proclaims this, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Isn't that powerful? We come to the counterfeits and remember the first three plagues, the magicians kind of replicated to some you know, weak degree God's miracles. But after the third plague, there were no more magical recreations of the plagues. In fact, the magicians started breaking down and giving God the credit. He, they knew something was totally different about the God of the Hebrews. But Pharaoh hardens his heart yet again. As he does, we learn something about repentance here now. Repentance is a major, major theme in all the Bible. It's at the heart of our relationship with God. Let's learn what we can from Pharaoh and his response here in verses 27 and 28. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. All right, he's saying something different here. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. I think he's afraid of the thunderstorm. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. But skip down to verses 34 and 35, and we read this. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So what's wrong with Pharaoh's confession here, his confession here? He was motivated by thunderstorm, not by true repentance. This wasn't complete repentance. It's like today, it's tax season right now, right? It's like today, somebody sending in uh, $150 to the IRS along with a note, if I can't sleep at night, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> Is that complete repentance? No. Pharaoh's repentance was false. So what is true repentance? The repentance God calls us to is this. It's a personal, absolute surrender to God. It includes sorrow, but it's more than that. It's a change. 
You've probably heard it said repentance is a 180-degree turn from our own self-love, our own self-trust, our own self-will. Like, I'm going to get what I want and my rights. It's, I mean, it's completely turning away from that towards God and finding, in the meantime, that it's better over here. Complete repentance, not just because we're afraid or having a bad, in a bad situation. No, he says, turn to me and live. And that's what he's telling him to, to turn away from everything that conflicts with God and his command. And Pharaoh wasn't there. But it is tough. It is tough to repent. It's tough, like we said in the opening question. It's, we don't like to admit that we're wrong, to humble ourselves, to have to say you're sorry, to make changes, to cut things out of your life, to believe different things than, than we've believed uh, this far. It is tough. And it's okay to admit that, that it's hard. We'd rather worship ourselves. We'd rather avoid the R. Here's a little story about avoiding the R that I like. A boy named Jimmy had trouble pronouncing the letter R. So his teacher gave him a sentence to practice at home. Here was the sentence. Robert gave Richard a rap in the rib for roasting the rabbit so rare. Little Jimmy, go work on that sentence. Rabbit, I mean, rabbit, I can't even say it. Robert gave Richard a rap in the rib for roasting the rabbit so rare. His assignment was to practice this sentence. So some days later, the teacher asked, Jimmy, have you been practicing the sentence? And Jimmy said, oh, yes. And Jimmy said, Bob gave Dick a punch in the side for not cooking the bunny enough. <laughs> He'd been working on it. Notice that he avoided the R at all costs. And there are many people today who avoid repenting from ourselves and turning towards God at all costs, at all costs. Ask yourself, what would this look like for you to give up your entire hardened heart to God? Well, start asking that question today, and we're going to keep seeing through this text what he has to us. What would it look like for us to completely repent and be revived and live again or for the first time in God? With that question asked, we continue to the eighth plague. The eighth plague finishes off what the seventh plague started or left behind, and that is the locusts. Now, if this was a movie scene, we see the intensity increasing, we'd see the, the screen getting darker and darker, and the music would kick in from something like Gladiator. Here's what God is doing. Once again, our cycle begins with obedience. Chapter 10, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail and they shall eat every tree of, you, of yours that grows in the field. So the prospects of this is, are so horrifying that even Pharaoh's servants say two verses later in verse seven, they say, Pharaoh, let them go so they may serve their Lord. Do you not see that Egypt is ruined? And Pharaoh had a choice. 
His own people are begging him. But he got angry and threw Moses out. And so, God's power, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, the locusts came up over all the land and of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor will ever be seen again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Locusts are like grasshoppers, except much bigger and more aggressive and hungrier. An army of them can completely devastate entire fields of crops in minutes, and they did Egypt's completely. Consider what false worship God is confronting here. There's Osiris, the god of crops and fertility, Nepri, the god of grain, Anubis, guardian of the fields, and more pointedly, Serapia, who protected against locusts and had a locust for a head. Again, the counterfeits are begging Pharaoh to stop it, but he doesn't stop. There's a hardening of his heart in verses 17 through 20. Pharaoh makes another confession, and we learn something else about confessing our sins and our hardness of heart. In verse 17, he says, Forgive my sin this once, this one time. He's trying to get the locusts to go away. And he says, okay, forgive my sin this one time. And you just have to stop and think about Pharaoh, who serves as a picture for us. This one time, are you kidding me? How about an entire life of sinning against God, of evil? of worshiping yourself as your own God? How about confessing all of that? It's not true repentance when it has nothing but your own self-interests in mind. And we fall into that. And God is showing us the seriousness of that. He wants your whole heart. He's showing us the seriousness of all of our sin in these plagues. And like Pharaoh, we don't easily get there to fully repent. And so we find the ninth plague, darkness. And the plagues are nearing their completion now. And as they do, nothing says judgment quite like darkness. The darkness was to be felt, as we see in verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt a darkness to be felt. Have you ever been in total darkness? Um, if you've ever taken a tour of one of the caves, one of the big caves in Kentucky or California, something like that, one of the things they like to do is get everybody deep in, inside the cave and say, okay, brace yourselves, grab the railing or the person in front of you that you're with, um, not a stranger, because um, this is going to get really dark. And they turn off the lights and just let you sit and, and feel the darkness for a while. This is what the Egyptians experienced for three days. Let's see God's power in verses 22 and 23. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. 
They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. We were talking about this in our home. I guess that means they couldn't light a candle. I, I guess that means the flame wouldn't even make a light. Just darkness for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Just see God's care for his people intermingled along this text. But again, God wanted all of their complete attention. And for three days, he had it. There they were. He had their total attention. Remember who the chief of their gods was? The chief of the Egyptian gods was Ra, the sun god. And he was shown for these three days to be a fraud in the darkness that could be felt. And once again, the counterfeits were like everyone else, wondering what would become of them, wondering if this would ever go away, wondering about the God who was obviously in control here. And then the hardening of heart, verse 24. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Shake my head. He's still not getting it. He just can't repent the whole way, right? I want you to look at yourself again, and I'm looking at myself too. Repentance is our whole self turning away and turning towards God. Now we come to verses 27 through 29. Listen to this. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, to Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Pharaoh's done. His heart is totally hard. God has given him over to his hard heart now. He says, Moses, get out of here. I never come back in my presence again. This conversation's over. He is not going to repent. As you say, Moses said, I will not see your face again. This is finished, this conversation. We have one plague left. As we studied in our last message, we come to this place where our hardness of heart finally overtakes us. And God's going to say, okay. And the, the language that Exodus uses is God says, okay, God hardens his heart so that his chances are over. And we looked at Romans 1, and we see that this is still happening today. And that the only reason that God doesn't just take you off the earth is because he's still working his righteous plan through you. And we beg and implore you and, and the people that, we're, that we love in our lives not to let it go that far. Turn to God now and live. Learn from Pharaoh. It doesn't have to be the case. We don't want it to get that far for anyone that we know and love, but we learn from this that God may be working in their lives. And so don't panic. Keep praying. Keep persevering. Keep loving. Keep speaking truth. Keep trusting God. So he gives us the warning in his word of plague number 10. 
The warning of plague number 10 is what chapter 11 contains. It is the warning of plague number 10 that the world may know God's sovereignty, justice, and grace. Chapter 10, the only thing it contains is the warning of the 10th plague. It's short in verses, just 10 verses, but heavy in importance. Because plague number 10 isn't just the last plague, it is the plague. God has finished his work of getting our hearts, calling us to repent of everything else that we worship. But this is the plague. This is the culmination of God's sovereignty, of his justice, and his grace in the 10th plague. And this warning is given in chapter 11 that we're going to conclude with today. Next week, we'll look entirely at the 10th plague, the Passover. And you have to understand the 10th plague in order to understand the Passover feast. And you have to understand the Passover feast in order to understand the Lord's Supper. And you have to understand the Lord's Supper to understand the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us to fulfill all of this. So this is very important that we understand the 10th plague. And so we're going to see the warning of it right now and spend all of next week on it. We're let, and then we're less than two weeks away from our own Passover Seder, which will be the Saturday after next Sunday. If you haven't heard about that, it's going to be a great time. Tickets are on sale. You can get them in the back of, uh, in the foyer back there or on our website just for five bucks a plate. And this is a great, great special time. For 1,500 years after the exodus of the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, this was their key feast of their whole year, year after year for 1,500 years, the Passover feast. And they didn't fully understand that Jesus was going to fulfill it all, and he did. And for the last 2,000 years, he's transformed that into the Lord's Supper, which we take today to celebrate its fulfillment by the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. So let's look at chapter 11, the warning, the proclamation that the, Lord, that the world will know that God is sovereign, just, and gracious. Sovereign, just meditate on that word. That means he's in complete control over all things. That God retain control, retains control over all things no matter what is a very comforting doctrine for us. We can totally trust him, that his plans are good, that he will work everything out for the good of those who love him, and we can have total comfort in that. Well, here's where he displays that to us over and over through the word, but here's where he proclaims this right now. Just listen to verses 1 through 8. They're not on the screen. Just just listen or read them in your Bible. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. God is proclaiming his sovereignty. Verse 2, speaking now in the hearing of the people, they ask that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And we're going to look at that in much more detail next week. This was part of God's stated plan way back several chapters ago. They're not just going to go. They're going to go with all the wealth of Egypt. This was part of God's plan. He's working this out. So he just states it there. It's going to happen. Verse 3, And the Lord gave the people, the Israelites, favor in the sight of the Egyptians, 
Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. I would say so, if you just remember all the, ten, all the nine plagues that they've gone through. Moses was pretty revered in the sight of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of all the people. So, verse 4, Moses said, Thus says the Lord about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne. Even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But, again, his care for his people, not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Verse 8, And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Moses is fired up, as we should be too. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. We see here that God's sovereignty is unparalleled. There is none like him. The other gods whom the world turned to instead of him have been completely dismantled, proven as frauds, and God reaches out, proclaims his sovereignty. Now he's also proclaiming that he is just, we love justice, and he's also going to proclaim that he's not a tyrant, but filled with grace and mercy. Now to which God was the tenth plague directed? to Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh was considered by all and by himself to be a god, the son of Ra. He was supposedly a savior, the son of God. This is all such a defiant insult to God and his son. So the 10th plague is aimed directly at the desecration of the character of God. He will justly vindicate his rightful place as the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is a counterfeit God that this whole entire culture is based on. God is the one true God. And you are meeting with him right here and now through his Son, Jesus, our Lord. But... Think in the presence of this meeting together with God in his presence. Just think of all the things that we give our attention and affection to first. He deserves and demands that first place in our lives for our own good. That we would revive and live Counterfeit gods are so appealing to us, though, because in all time, in all cultures, in all places, including all of our lives right now, because those counterfeit gods and other things we give our affection to promise us that we can continue to be our own god and, and be in our own comfort. 
God has proclaimed that this sovereignty is his, not ours. But he's going to be gracious. He's going to show himself gracious with it. So let's talk about this in our next step, which I'm just going to phrase right here, that we may repent, revive, and live. This is what God wants for us. He has proven himself to be God, the only God. That's why we're here. So let's just give him the glory that, that he's due. If, and that takes repentance. That takes repentance. I'm going to read 2 Peter 3.9, 3, actually. And, and I just want you to listen to God's desire. This one verse, Peter, I think, just really puts this whole entire 10 plagues episode into one verse. Just listen to this and what he's trying to teach us today. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't want any to perish. How do we not? How do we come to him and live through repentance? Again, we talked about what repentance is. It's a personal, absolute surrender to God. It's more than sorrow. It's a change from trusting ourselves to trusting in God, to turning to him, being embraced by him, being saved by him, being brought to life, to revival, to him, by him. And that is his grace that he gives us so much when we do. That concept of reviving uh, reminded me that last year, when Momentum, the big youth conference, got canceled, our church's youth group did a two-night retreat called Revives. How many of you remember that? All right. And it was awesome. It was amazing. I was, I'm glad that I have kids now old enough to be in the youth group. And I got to be one of the speakers there, too. So I, I talked to Sean Mason, our youth director, about uh, the theme and what was accomplished there. And this is what he said. He said, the major overall theme from Revive was in the name, Revive, to speak of the revival that God wanted to bring in our community, in our lives, in our church. So each day, we did service projects as a way of rubbing shoulders with those in our community. Then our sessions at the church focused on who God says they are versus who the world says they are. Okay? Then... We capped off the week by throwing away things in our life that stood in the way of our relationship with Jesus. Each student wrote down things they need to give up in order to follow Jesus. And then we threw those note cards into the trash as a symbol of giving up these things for Jesus. Because there is no revival without repentance. But with repentance, oh, God will... First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness every time and brings revival. And once we repent and revive, then we start to truly live, follow Christ and experience this truly, this life change that doesn't depend on our circumstances anymore. Whatever the circumstances are, we follow Christ and live a life that he has for us. And I just want to tell one more story from this last week. I have 32 guys going through a men's leadership class right now, and we've been having a great time. We're approaching the halfway mark on it. 
So for several weeks now, I just want you to know that men in our church have been committed to praying and reading the Bible faithfully, accomplishing their goals, reading some good books, working on relationships, putting an accountability in their lives, having some clear direction for their lives, and just one story that has come out of it so far, I just had to share, and I got permission to share. One of the men, in the time of open discussion, captured the the attention of the entire room of men. He said something like this. In the weeks of this class, of us men walking close to God and the word and prayer, reading the good books and, and having the fellowship and accountability of my brothers, our home had a great deal of unrest in the midst of all that. And I found myself apologizing to my wife so quickly and fully that she was not only surprised, but got upset because she said, I can't fight with that. And we just rejoiced that here we are, a room full of guys, in the process of reviving, of turning from our own lack of humility, pride, whatever, you, whatever we identify that as, and just following Jesus. And oh, we want that for everyone here in this church, for everyone here in the world. So I ask, how is this going to, how could this look in your life? These steps of growth, of turning from the hardness of your heart towards Jesus. I can't wait to find that out with you as we all are growing in this together. How will this look in our church and in our community? And to answer that, that's why on each one of your groups of chairs, we have two things. I'm going to grab one here. The invest and invite cards, and everybody please reach over and grab these things. The invest and invite cards, which there are two. There's the big ones and the small ones. Don't get them confused. They look similar. The invest and invite cards are for you to write down the people who God has placed in your life to pray for them to come to Christ. They need Jesus. They need to repent. You know what they need what they're going through. They need to come to Jesus. And that happens largely through our prayers for them. So we're writing the names down on these cards. You keep the small one in your wallet or on your mirror at home. Turn the big ones in today. If you drop them in the boxes on the walls, then today after lunch, this is the concert of prayer day, We're going to gather up all of these. We have a large stack from two weeks ago when we did this, plus the stack from today. You can write new names on there if you already did this two weeks ago and share those with us. And then today, after lunch, we're going to come back in here and fill this room in groups praying by name, praying for our Easter outreach, for our community, for our world, and then praying by name for all of these things. And watch what God does through those prayers. Now, we don't want people in our community to be left out of hearing the gospel. Our Easter services, we have three services, and we would love to see this room packed. That's only going to happen through our prayers and through inviting people. So these are the invitation cards. There's five packs of them, and here's a couple more. Sling them out all around town and see. God God creates those divine appointments, and he's going to work through those. I've already heard some movement. I've had some good discussions myself, and... um, I just ask for you to be faithful in your response to God through that. This is what this is going to look like in our church and in our community. Let's go ahead and close right now.
thanking God for all of this and committing our lives to him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that, oh, you are so filled with grace that we can repent a million times, a billion times. And as long as it's true repentance, you will always take us back, restore us, wash us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Say, I see you as I see my son, Jesus, because you're clothed in his righteousness. Live now, truly live in the face of anything this world throws at you. Be on my mission and, and proclaim this good news to the world. Worship me as the one and only true God. You've spoken all these things to us today. Have our hearts, Lord, we pray. And now we have the opportunity to sing, and I pray that we'll do so with a clean and purified heart, as one revived and truly living. In Jesus' name, amen.